Welcome to Stroke of Insight, where we feature real people, real stories, sharing their stroke of insight. Today, we feature Megan Washington from Orlando, Florida. Megan shares her story of being diagnosed with Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome in 2006 at just 21 years old. She talks about her time in the emergency room, hearing how scary the situation was and what the future held for her heart care. We talk about signs and symptoms that were present years before being diagnosed, what her procedure was like, and how she is using her upcoming pageant to raise money for congenital heart disease research with the American Heart Association. We are so excited to have you here with us today, Megan. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much, Natalie. I'm excited to talk to you too. Well, we always love when we can talk to real people sharing real stories. And I will say that what you were diagnosed with is something that I am not very familiar with. So I, alongside our listeners, I know are really interested in hearing a little bit more about personal story. So tell us just a little bit about how your story with CHD began. Sure. So, I mean, I, I was living a completely normal life up until I was 21 years old. And um, I was training to be a professional wrestler at the time. And one day at practice, you know, I started feeling a little off, but you know, it passed and I was, I was okay. But then that same week at practice, I wound up blacking out and I just don't remember anything for about 15 minutes. So um, I, I thought I was having an asthma attack, you know, because I was mm-hmm. dizzy and, you know, I was just in a fog. And so I just sat down for a little while and I started to feel better, but not great. And the trainer at the school was like, please just go to the emergency room. He's like, if it's your asthma, whatever, you know, peace of mind. And I was like, okay. So um, for me, when I went to the emergency room, You know, of course, we know the statistics from the American Heart Association that women actually will wait longer than men uh, in the emergency room before they actually get to see a doctor. And that was true for me because I waited over five hours. And I tell you, when I got to the emergency room, I couldn't stand anymore. Um, I literally just collapsed on the floor and I was just sitting in front of the area where you check in. Mm -hmm. And there was still no immediacy. I told them, I was like, I can't get up. I was like, I can't walk. And so they had my friends, you know, stand me up and bring me into the little triage area where they took my vitals. And Mm -hmm. uh, my oxidation was in the high, high 90s. So they were like, okay, you're good. My heart rate, however, was still at about 117. And um, which is not terrible. But again, I had not been working out for over an hour. So Mm -hmm. that's pretty high after, you know, you're obviously just sitting down too. Um, so I waited five hours before I actually got to see a doctor, um, at that point. And the doctor, I told him, I was like, well, I feel fine now. I feel great. You know, I feel normal. He's like, okay, I just want to do a test. Just let me do this one little test. It won't hurt. It'll take two seconds. And I was like, okay. He's like, I just want to check your heart. When you hear, I want to check your heart. You're like, what? (laughs) What? Um, so he did an EKG. And then he came running back into the door or into the room and like opened the door with like all this force. And he's like, if we let you leave the hospital, you could die walking up a flight of stairs. And I was like, pardon me? 
Oh, like boy. what? And I, I think no matter how you deliver the news to somebody, like it's just going to be really traumatizing. But for me, like that's the scene that always replays in my head of, wow, that was, that was like quite the entrance. Um, so, you know, you go from one afternoon thinking that you're having maybe an asthma attack to all of a sudden the doctor is delivering, you know, what you feel like is earth shattering news at the time. So that's how I found out that I had Wolf Parkinson white syndrome. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm listening to what you're saying because I always think that everyone's story surprises me because there's always some type of caveat to it. And I, on behalf of that ER, because the fact that you had to wait five hours before you were seen, it just lends itself to what we're experiencing in the medical field. And I'm not in the medical field. And I know how hard our healthcare workers work because I am always going for follow-ups and things of that nature. But when we're seeing more and more patients at younger ages coming in for these types of of signs and symptoms, we just have to have better triage measures. And that's something else for obviously us to advocate at some point, right? There's so many of us, Mm -hmm. but just knowing that you had to wait that long, I'm sure was scary in itself. And then the delivery of how you found out about it is equally as scary. So what happened after they told you what you had? So they checked me into the hospital and believe it or not, at the time I was like, well, you want to admit me? I need to ask my parents for permission. Like that seems pretty extreme. So they gave me the phone to actually call my parents to ask if I could be admitted to the hospital because I was just like, I don't think things made sense to me, you know, at that Mm -hmm. point, because I was just like, I'm 21. Like I I'm otherwise healthy. And my parents, I think by the time I got to call them, it was like one or two in the morning. So Mm -hmm. they were freaking out getting a call from an unknown number at that point. And of course they were, they were terrified. Um, but they, the hospital did admit me and early that morning before the sun even came up, I met my cardiologist. His name was Dr. Duran. He was absolutely amazing. And I just remember him, you know, sitting at my bed and, like I was still in a fog because I was so tired, but sure. you know, it's, it's really hard to sleep in a hospital too, especially after you've gotten this crazy news because you're like, am I going to die? Like what's, what's yes. going on? Right. And there's nobody there to sit and comfort you, um, to tell mm-hmm. you, they, they just leave you so scared and like unsure of what's going to happen. And so I remember one of the first questions that I actually asked him was like, so I have a problem with my heart. Like like, this is open heart surgery, like, what's going to happen? And he's like, no, he's like, you don't have to have open heart surgery. And come to find out, you know, if if they found this when I was born, because ablations, I think, started in like 1986-ish. So -hmm. if they found this when I was born in 85, I could have potentially had open heart surgery. So, you know, I think everything always happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I mean, I think, and I mean, I'm sure all of the women that have those scars on their chest can attest that that's, that's probably like an even more scary reminder of the things that you've gone through. So I'm fortunate that I don't have that and that my scars are on my legs. 
Exactly. I, I can completely understand and relate to that. So Megan, tell us a little bit about what exactly Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome is. So hardly anybody like ever hears of this. Even when I've talked to uh, different people um, in different heart organizations, they're like, what is that? So Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome is a rare congenital heart defect, and it affects only a very small amount of the population. But in speaking with other people after my diagnosis, you know, we've kind of individually wondered if, you know, maybe WPW is not all that rare because you hear a lot of, you know, people who play sports or, you know, high school athletes that just unfortunately drop dead in the middle of practice or in the middle of a game. Right. It's one of those things where um, you can't find it in an autopsy if it's not active. Wow. Yeah. So in talking to other nurses about it, it was just one of those things that was like mind blowing to me. I was like, wow. I was like, how fortunate am I that mm-hmm. I, I'm alive? Um, so what it is, is it's an extra electrical pathway in your heart and it can happen anywhere in your heart. But the side that mine was on, of course, being Irish, totally <laughs> lucky, right? Mine was on the worst side that you could possibly have it. So um, you're able to talk to your doctor about, you know, what the best treatment is for you. So some people opt to take medication their whole lives. And for others like myself who are more active and I love to work out, um, having that ablation was going to give me the best possible chance of leading a normal life. So Mm -hmm. I opted for the ablation. Um, And my ablation was, I think they said the average is about two hours. Mine was four. Mm. Uh, So, (laughs) of course, you know, again, that that luck of the Irish there. Yeah. Um, But you know what? All you can do is be thankful that um, you have a great team Mm -hmm. of the the electrophysicists, physiology. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, You did that beautifully because mine would have sounded a lot worse. I'm just going to tell you right now. Let's just call it like it is. Tough words to say even for us survivors. Yes, it is. Um, But I just – I'm just so thankful that the team of doctors that I had were able to to cure me of this. So I no longer have that. And again, in 2018, I found myself in the hospital after running a 5K um, because my heart rate wouldn't go down. And so I had to get, you know, all the tests (laughs) again Mm -hmm. because they were like, oh my gosh, you, and I tell you this time, I did not have to wait five hours. They were like, oh, you've had a heart problem. Oh, right. (laughs) Get her right in. Yeah. Yeah. Get her right in. She's in the, she's in the express lane. (laughs) Yeah. But my cardiac enzymes at that point had, um, dropped significantly. So they were like, oh my God, what's going on? Um, but I learned out, or excuse me, I found out that I um, just had a magnesium deficiency, which is very common for people, especially for those who sweat a lot because your body sweats out all of those vitamins. So, you know, doing all of those tests again, it was, it was just a reassurance to me that I was okay. Um, Because for a long time, I was really scared, you know, Um, and I'm sure Sure. you can attest to, to any type of heart diagnosis kind of giving you you know, PTSD, anxiety, and depression. It's just all oh, really yeah. scary. So having having that reassurance that my tests came back, nothing was present. Like, it made me feel so good. Good. You say you had an equation, Megan. What exactly does that mean in terms of how they went in there and did this procedure? 
So for Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, um, for the ablation, they go in through the arteries on your legs, on both legs. So on one leg, I have three little dots as scars, and on the other leg, I have two. Um, so they go up into your heart with all of their tools, and they burn out the electrical pathway, the extra electrical mm -hmm. pathway that's present in your heart. And I remember, so they'll give you like a little cocktail um, to try to help you be drowsy, but you're kept awake during the procedure, which is also equally as frightening. <laughs> yes. Um, but you can look over at their board and see like what they're doing. And I chose not to because I was like, I don't want to freak myself out. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, um, I remember falling in and out of consciousness, just trying to forget it all, you know, what was going on. And one of the times I woke up, um, I felt like I was going to throw up. Like my heart was Ooh. racing so fast and you're just strapped to a table. You can't move. Your arms are strapped mm -hmm. down, your body's strapped down. And um, so what they were trying to do is they were taking their tools, trying to race my heart, trying to get that extra electrical pathway to activate because if it activated, they were not done with burning it out. Um, Correct. So they kept doing that. And then finally they were like, okay, it's not activating. We've got it. But my heart mm -hmm. was also racing at over 200 beats a minute. So <laughs> mm. it just, it's like, it felt so weird. Um, so that was probably honestly like the worst part about it is, you know, that, that feeling of uncomfortableness when they're doing those things. Um, but I would gladly trade in, you know, that couple hours of being uncomfortable for, this life of being cured now. Um, but I always tell people when they're scared to have an ablation that it sounds really scary, but don't be afraid of it because it's going to give you hopefully, you know, a much better outlook on life. Cause there, there is that, you know, chance that you might need a pacemaker, um, you know, to assist you. But for me, I was, I was so fortunate. And it is scary because the way your procedure happened was very similar laying flat I couldn't after the procedure I couldn't move for seven hours couldn't sit up you wow. know I remember my mom feeding me on my back they went through the groin with catheters you're watching your heart on the screen I had this vice on my head and you're just kind of like you know like you said up and like you're awake and then you're asleep and you're just kind of like laying there right you have no concept mm -hmm. of time but it is something to be said for during that time just how we are taking in everything that's happening around us and to us, even though we're not fully awake. I feel like subconsciously, I remember a lot more afterwards than I did during that moment. And it is true. I mean, one in eight CHD patients suffers from depression, anxiety, PTSD. And it took me a long time to be like, yep, I'm one of them. And it's okay. Right. Everybody mm -hmm. has their stuff, but I think so many people are afraid to admit that they might have one of those things. But in all reality, what happened to myself and to you and other CHD patients in, you know, either if you're a youth or in your adulthood, when you remember it, that's only natural that we feel that way. And it's okay to embrace that that is now part of us, but it's just knowing how to react or not react when we feel those types of feelings coming on. So I think it's just natural to feel that way too. Yeah. And we have that stigma of mental health too, you know, and I think a lot mm -hmm. of people 
are just afraid to admit or to even verbalize that they feel that they could be experiencing those things because they don't want people to think of them differently. And so I know specifically, I try to blog about it. I try to talk to people about it and post on social media about mental health because mm-hmm. I just don't want people that you know go through a heart diagnosis to feel like they're alone because at the time I did, I, nobody was talking about you know, how it mentally affects you. And mm-hmm. I, I wish that there were resources out there at that time because so for me, my problem happened in 2006. So that that's a while ago now at that, you know, at this point, almost 16 years. That's um, right, Megan. When in 2006? So it actually happened July 26th. Um, and then I had my ablation on August 31st. So well, I, didn't, I didn't have to wait long. <laughs> that was the same year I had my stuff, which what? is 16 years ago. Yes, it was January 6th of 2006 was my stroke and I had my procedure in March. So wow. it does, when, when you said that, I was like, wow, yeah, that's my year. But you know, I, like it's my birthday year or something, yeah. but you kind no, of it's feel your like heart you're, anniversary. Yeah. your heart anniversary, right? <laughs> but it is, it seems like such a long time ago, but boy, when you start thinking about it, it really seems like yesterday and you know, many terms, it seems like it wasn't that long ago. Now, did you have any other signs or symptoms that something could be wrong, Megan, now that you look back, or was it just that, that day that it happened when you were training? So that's a crazy question because now looking back at it throughout my life, I can pinpoint different areas where, you know, I can't say for certain that that's what was going on, Mm -hmm. but, um, I know as a child, uh, the doctor that I had seen had told my mom, he thought he heard heart murmurs. And so when you're a kid, you're like heart murmurs. Oh, a mermaid. I have a mermaid, you know, so you're you're super excited and you think it's cool. But I remember having to go back a couple times where, um, he, he just kept, you know, an ear out to see if he could hear anything. And even, um, you know, in high school, I experienced a dizzy spell and I couldn't Mm -hmm. walk and um, they took me to the clinic because they thought I was having an asthma attack. And yeah, then I think it was about a month before I wound up going to the emergency room, I was having a consultation to get my wisdom teeth out. And the doctor said, I think I hear an extra heartbeat, but (laughs) he had a phone call. So he had to leave the room. And I was like, what? Yeah, now what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So then when he came back in, he's like, oh, I don't hear it anymore. So there were little things throughout my life, but Mm -hmm. there was always some type of explanation for it or people didn't hear it anymore. And that's the crazy thing about Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome is it's not always active. Mm -hmm. Um, So you just have to pray that when it's active that you're going to have somebody taking care of you to get that help you need. So I'd be interested to hear if like you had other little things that happened to you. Yes. It's interesting because I do specifically remember when I was at the University of Iowa on the dance team there and we were running, I would have a lot of chest pain. My chest felt very heavy. I just thought I was out of shape crying through some of these runs. I, now that I think back, I'm like, why did I ever think I was on a shape? I was at the best shape of my life. <laughs> and then same thing when I was a lovable, I had that as well. When I was dancing for the bulls, I came running off the court, 
couldn't breathe very well. My girlfriend had an inhaler underneath the base of the basketball hoop. She'd leave it on the United Center floor. And I'm like, Kim, give me your inhaler. And I said, she's like, you don't even have asthma. I go, I can't breathe right now. I took two puffs of the inhaler. And, but when you just talked about dizziness, it's interesting because when I was younger, I suffered from dizzy spells. And I remember I used to like stand straight up with my legs spread apart, like shoulder width apart. And then they would tell me to basically bend over and let the blood rush to my head. I'm like, now that you think back, you're like, was that even a solution? And so I think they thought I was hypoglycemic and that if I eat too much chocolate or raisins, I could get dizzy spells. But it wasn't until you just talked about the dizzy spells that it just connected for me all of a sudden. And I've, you know, I've been dizzy before, but I really wonder if that was a sign when I was a little girl, you know, was that something that they didn't even think about looking at because we didn't have the advancements we do today. We didn't have the knowledge of some of these heart defects. So it was kind of as if you, if you had congenital heart disease, they were either finding it out when you were an infant because it was so present. It wasn't that it was some of these smaller things that come out over time. It was something that was a defect that was very well known. But for those of us in which we have more unique defects that were founded over time, it's interesting just to look back and hear everybody's stories and see how you start putting together your own. So, but I had that out of breath. I thought I had asthma. I went to the doctor they had me blow in a tube to see how much oxygen that I was actually, you know, taking in and then breathing out. And they were like, you have athlete induced asthma. Here's an inhaler for when you need it. But that really wasn't, that really wasn't the cure. And no one ever. So it's just interesting to hear your story and other guests of the podcast, their stories, because I have learned something every time I talk to someone. So what is your life like now, Megan, with post-procedure care, with just optimal health care, and what your road of recovery looks like? What is it now for you in terms of just life and post-recovery? So I will say now that I am in an absolutely like amazing space in my life. Um, but it wasn't always easy. (laughs) Um, I I think right after it, you know, I went through a depression and Mm -hmm. I actually had a friend who came over to my apartment and she's like, I'm, I'm taking you to a doctor because you need to talk to someone. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was having somebody else recognize that I had a problem because I knew, you know, you know, something's not right, but you don't know. Sometimes you just can't articulate what it is. Right. And I'm, I'm thankful that I had that friend that was there for me that took me to see my first therapist. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it took me a couple tries to find a therapist that I thought could help me and that I thought could relate because I think for me that was the biggest thing is I just didn't think anybody could understand what in the world I had gone through. Mm-hmm. And for those who might be experiencing heart issues, there's definitely somebody out there who can, you know, sympathize with you and get you the help that you need mentally to start mm-hmm. healing from it. Um, and so because my situation happened when I was working out, um, mm-hmm. 
I had PTSD and so I did not work out for approximately eight years. And one day I just decided I don't want to be scared anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's okay to be scared, but I don't want to be scared. Like I want to live a normal life. So nobody was home at the time. I jumped on a treadmill. Of course. I don't don't know why. That sounds like a great idea, Megan. (laughs) I know. Nobody's home. So if something happens, I'm by myself, you know? So I, I don't know why I thought that was a good idea, but I did. And I just remember like, I just kept running and I ran three quarters of a mile, which does not seem like very much. But again, I didn't work out for, sure. for eight years. So I was, I was so proud and I'm so proud of that. I'm proud That's, of you, Megan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, I will say that is like the most proud I've been ever running because uh-huh. th- that took so much like, you know, internal fortitude and determination yes. to get through it. So um, I... I love running 5Ks now. They're challenging. They're fun. I love competing against myself to better my time. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I still have like exercise-induced PTSD because sure. I don't think I don't think that's ever going to go away. But you know, it's not every day, um, and I, I feel like you know over the past couple of years I've really gotten into the best shape of my life. Um, oh. So I think there's just so many positive things now on the other side of that diagnosis. And as time goes on, you know, it just keeps getting better and better. That's awesome. And you have something very exciting coming up very soon. Tell us about your upcoming pageant. Yeah. So next week I will be, well, the national pageants in Orlando. So I'm traveling to Orlando (laughs) so far. Um, but it's for Global Continental National Pageants, and this is going to be their second year of holding nationals. So I'm just extremely excited to represent an organization that puts such a commitment to their queens um, for service. Mm-hmm. And one of their hashtags is beauty meets service. So I love that they're emphasizing, you know, being involved and doing something positive and doing something good with your title. And so it's a really good fit for me because, you know, with or without a title, I absolutely love, you know, um, being involved in the heart community and giving back any way that I can. That is awesome. So when you have been doing community events and community Can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're advocating for or education that you're bringing to the pageant? Yes. So I had partnered with the American Heart Association um, for, it was through February, March, and April for their Women of Impact campaign. And I wound up being the Tampa Bay winner. Um, so I am the Tampa Bay Woman of Impact and I helped to raise over $5,000. And to me, I had never done any fundraising before, but I'm always up mm-hmm. for a good challenge. And, sure. you know, people were so kind. Every dollar, you know, counted. Every dollar mattered because that was going to research. Because um, right mm-hmm. now they're actually um, putting an emphasis on the maternal mortality rates um, for yes. women who have, you know, just given birth because there's been so many heart attacks and strokes and, mm-hmm. you know, even with SCAD. So I felt very compelled to to help with that because, you know, as a woman, I hope to one day be a mother and I don't want anybody else even, you know, during your most precious times, you know, spending that time with your new baby, I don't want women to go through these things. Right. So I was so fortunate, I feel like, to be able to help with that and to be able to bring attention to, 
you know, heart health awareness. So I did fundraisers at um, Kendra Scott. Uh, she, mm -hmm. she does Kendra Gives Back. So I was able to do two different fundraising events there as Ms. Florida Global Continental towards the Women of Impact campaign. So those are just a couple little things that I've, I've done with the Heart Association in the past couple of months um, that have just been so exciting um, to help, you know, introduce people to new things that they did not know about before. Well, I am very grateful to you because as a woman who was postpartum when I had my stroke and her procedure. I'm grateful for individuals like you that, and I know I do my share too, but it's, it's about others. And I appreciate the fact that you were so concerned about raising money for research because even myself with working alongside our local TV station here in Chicago, NBC5, and the American Heart Association, they were interviewing me specifically for that study, Megan, to talk to an individual who was a survivor of having a stroke under the age of 35. And it's just become a trend we're seeing, like you said, in young mothers, in women. It's We don't know if it's hormonal, that it's happening after birth. But for me, I had two holes in my heart and atrial septum aneurysm. So we know why I had a blood clot that went from my heart to my brain. But we are seeing more of this. So it's wonderful that you were able to raise $5,000 to go towards research because it truly is needed. And if everybody took the time to participate in something like that, Think about how we can move the most underfunded area to one of the highest funded area because the research is needed for congenital heart disease. What do you hope to accomplish, Megan, by participating in the pageant? So as you are probably aware, the mm -hmm. biggest demographic of women that don't believe that heart health is a concern to them is women under 40. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can both attest that it happened to us. Yeah. So participating in this pageant, you know, is opening that door and opening that conversation to mm -hmm. other women to be aware of their risk factors. So I think for me, that is the absolute most important thing is being able to introduce women to this. So that way they have time to take control of their health because it's not too late. Absolutely. Well, Megan, it has been such a pleasure talking with you today. And I really appreciate you sharing an area within congenital heart disease that I was not educated on at all. And it just goes to show how many different defects there really is out there and mm -hmm. how we need to continue creating awareness. And to our listeners, if you or someone you know has are, you know, if you're a congenital heart disease survivor and you would like to share your story, please visit www.nataliepoli.com and click on the contact us button and tell us about your story. We'd love to have you as a guest, just like Megan has been here today, her story and how her life has changed because of it and the advocacy and education she is trying to bring to the forefront through the sport of pageantry and just in her daily life. Megan, we're so grateful for your time today and for your willingness to share your personal story of CHD, which allows us to have another stroke of insight. So thank you so much. Oh, it has been a pleasure, Natalie. Thank you so much. Thank 
you for listening today. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel, and we appreciate you taking the time to like, follow, and share the podcast so others can share their stroke of insight. Welcome to Stroke of Insight, where we feature real people, real stories, sharing their stroke of insight. Today, we feature Nicole Bush from Central Illinois. Nicole and I met during the Mended Hearts National Capitol Hill Advocacy Day, where we advocated on behalf of the Carroll Act and the Newborn Screening Saves Lives Reauthorization Act. She shares her story of being a stroke survivor, diagnosed with congenital heart disease, and the chronic issues she continues to have as she looks to obtain what optimal health is for her situation. Nicole also shares exclusively with us her inability to carry children due to her diagnosis, what the acceptance process of this was like for her, how that has impacted her life and her suggestions as a licensed therapist on how to deal with grief and loss.